You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Before I get into the passage, um, I grew up in a small town in south central Pennsylvania outside of Gettysburg uh, called Hanover, Pennsylvania, not Hanover Township. Every time somebody's like, oh, you're from Hanover? That's not far. It's a different Hanover. So it's about two and a half, three hours away. Uh, I grew up in this small town. I went to a much smaller school into a small private school, um, a Christian academy in Littlestown. The town was literally called Littlestown. So it was a little town. We had one traffic light in that town. So I grew up in, in Hanover. We were, we were actually just visiting family down there a few weeks ago. And my girls are like, there's a lot of farms here. I'm like, yes, there is a lot of farms here. It's basically a very small town, Pennsylvania. And as a kid, as a teenager, I realized I started to resent the place that I was growing up in. I love my family, don't get me wrong, but I could not wait to get out. I'm like, I'm moving to Hollywood. I'm moving to New York. And my dream through high school was to be a Hollywood producer, to be a director, have my name in lights, my name on the star, like in the Walk of Fame. Like that was my dream. Why? Because it wasn't Hanover, Pennsylvania. I was literally that kid that you see in those movies, like, one day I'm getting out of this town. Like, that was me. Like, one day I'll, I'll be above all this. I'll be better than this. Um, and just, just so you, a little bit of the understanding there, like, as a teenager, I loved literature. I loved movies. I loved productions. I loved the arts. I loved theater. I loved city life. I didn't want to go work on a tractor. I didn't want to mow yards. I didn't want to do construction. My whole family, my dad's one of seven, seven kids, and then I have a lot of cousins, right? That's just my dad's side. On my dad's side, I was the first one to ever graduate college out of my dad's side of the family. My mom's side of the family, the exact same thing. She's one of three. None of them graduated high school. None of, none of the grandkids went to college. I was the first one. So I kind of grew up with this chip on my shoulder that, like, everybody around here doesn't know anything. I'm going to be above everybody. You know what I'm talking about? And so I wanted to get out of my background and become something that I thought was of more value better than. Make sense? And I feel like sometimes, whether it's physical location where you grew up, family environment, the house you grew up in, the dynamics there, economics. My, my family wasn't rich. We lived paycheck to paycheck. God always provided. But literally, I remember people bringing groceries to our house. I remember shopping at, well, it would be churches that would have a bunch of groceries for free. We would come in with a ticket and get groceries. Like That's the house that I grew up in as a kid. And so all I wanted to do was be better than this. And so I resented my background. So I, gra- I go to college, and I'm studying to be a youth pastor. And in my hometown, there's no church that pays for a youth pastor. So I'm volunteering, and I could not wait to get out. I could not wait to move somewhere else. So I'm applying to churches in, in California, in Texas, South Carolina, New York City, anywhere but Pennsylvania. I want to get out. And nothing, nobody ever returned a phone call. God had me in this church, this one church in a small town for nine years. And then I went to another church for two years in that same small town and always was working full-time other jobs to make money. For that decade, I'm like, when, God, can I leave? But God had to do a work in my heart. He had to change 
my view of my home. He had to change my view of family. He had to change my view of identity. What I believed about myself had nothing to do with the situation or the hometown that I grew up in. I somehow was thinking that I would have more value if I lived in a different place. Leaving Hanover could not make me have a background with any more talent or any more education, right? It wouldn't change anything. Changing, let me say this this morning, changing your current situation doesn't reshape your past. If I move to L.A., if I move to Hollywood, if I move to New York City or, or Seattle or any other city that sounded good to me, it wouldn't change where I came from, Right? The first section here understands that logically. The rest of you have no clue. That doesn't change your past? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to see this. So last week, we've been talking about something. Maybe that's why attendance is a little lower today. We've been talking about sexual immorality in marriages, in and outside of marriages. So some of you guys were very uncomfortable last week, squirming, that I said you are allowed to have sex when you're married. It's a good thing. Um, but so Paul is writing to this church in Corinth that's a mess. There are a bunch of new believers from different backgrounds in a very Greek city, in a very Greek culture, but different. You have Jews and you have Gentiles all in the same area, and it's a mess, new believers. And he's talking to them about sex and purity and what it means to be in Christ and like how you could do anything, but not everything's beneficial for you. And this is what marriages should look like. This is what husband and wife relationships should look like. And this is what it means to be single, but living for Jesus. And so either way, it's good. And then he'll get back into being a widow and being single. We'll talk about that next week as I was studying and preparing for next week. Uh, I was thinking about message titles. I was thinking maybe 99 problems, but a spouse ain't one. So maybe that's what I'll go with next week. I don't know. So next week we're talking about that whole life. Um, That was kind of a joke, people. Um, But all of a sudden, in the midst of this whole marriage conversation and singleness and sex, all that, he takes this, like, weird detour for a second. Like, time out. Let me explain something. So this is where we pick up 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule to all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of, uns- of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition of which he is called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called... There, let him remain with God. So he makes this point. He stops at, he takes a time out. Because they're like trying to figure out now, now that we're believers, should we be married? Should we not be married? What should we be doing here? Like if I'm married to an unbelieving spouse, should I divorce them? And he's like, no, that's not the point. You're missing the point. Time out. Stop making Christianity, stop making your identity in Christ about your situation or performance. It's about Christ's performance on the cross. 
So he has to explain this to him. And I love that at the beginning there of that passage in verse 17, he says, this is my rule to all of the churches. That means everywhere he's going, he's having the same conversation. Stop making it about what you've done, where you've been, or your current situation. Make it about Jesus and the situation of the cross. He says, that's my rule to everybody. It's not just you, it's everybody. And so I feel like we, as a, as a church here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, need to make this our rule as well. If Paul makes it a rule everywhere, we should make it a rule everywhere. It's not about you or your situation. It's not about your background. It's not about married, unmarried, single, divorced. It's not about circumcised, uncircumcised, slave or free, black, white, woman, man. It's not about that. It's about Christ. This is my rule across the board. It's about him. So he goes to this conversation, right, circumcision. I don't need to explain circumcision, right? Uh, if, I, if you don't know what that means, you can come talk to me afterwards. Uh, circumcision. Anyway, or look it up when you're, uh, you all have smartphones. Don't click on images. That'd be weird. Um, actually, you'd be using the church's Wi-Fi. Just skip that until you go home. Anyway. <laughs> um, so he says this, though. He, typically, you've kind of heard this debate with the disciples. You know, we're bringing these Gentiles to the faith. Do they need to be circumcised like we Jews are? And, and they're like, no, that's not the point. You don't need to do something that was part of the law that Moses and the people of Israel had to do. You don't need to do that. But he doesn't start there, does he? What's the first thing he says to that community? Those of you who were circumcised don't need to remove the marks of circumcision. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Literally, when I began to study this, there were people getting surgeries to make it look like they weren't circumcised. I don't know how that happened. I just know that that was what was happening. You had men who were circumcised trying to look like they were uncircumcised. Talk about weird peer pressure, right? You know, I started smoking. Well, I started uncircumcision. You know, like, that's a weird thing. It's weird peer pressure. But what was happening? You live in a Greek culture. Greek culture... When there was exercise, we didn't have Nike apparel or Under Armour. Greek culture was nude. It was a very nude culture. Greek baths, everybody went to the common bath together, and they were nude. And so you have this new community of Jews and Gentiles together, and they're all believers, and they're trying to like achieve some level of holiness or cultural acceptance, and they're all in the same exercise room or the same, same bath together, and all of a sudden they're like, I don't look like them. I should be like them to have some kind of better level of me, identity, worth, pride. Talk about weird peer pressure, right? That's what was happening. But then you also had the other side, and that's why Paul goes to the next thing. Some of you here are trying to be circumcised. It's not about that. You were having Gentiles, you were having Greeks mixed around Jewish people. And the Jews were like, no, you need to become circumcised. You need to do this. Or they, were in the, they would go to the temple because most communities had, had a, a small temple. Even in, Greek, or in Greece and uh, in Corinth, you would find small Jewish communities, small synagogues. And so you would have Gentile new converts coming and, and trying to figure out this faith. And they're hearing about the law. They're hearing about Moses and circumcision and Abraham and all this stuff. And now they feel this weird peer pressure to get circumcised. And Paul has to take a time out and say, stop making it about your physical marks. 
Stop making it about community expectations or even history. Don't make it about that. And this is, he adds this joke. He adds this weird little little thing here in uh, verse, let me see here real quick. Verse 19. And, and the, the ESV, which we use, doesn't quite spell it out the same way. But he says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Uh, verse 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keep keeping the commandments. This is what he's, he's saying in, in another translation kind of makes it sound better. He said, uncircumcision, circumcision, doesn't matter. Just keep the commandments. Just, we're keeping the commandments. Which, if you think about it, is a weird thing to say. Because circumcision was a commandment to the Jewish people. So he's kind of making this joke. The, Jew, the Jewish mind at that time would be like, wait, what are you saying? We, if we can impact it a little bit later in Romans, which we're not going to do today, but basically throughout Romans, he's saying, look, the commandments for your life now, Christ gave us a new set. It's live by the Spirit, basically. We live by the Spirit. We love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the new commandment that I fulfill, and I can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm only the law, the commandments are only satisfied because of Christ in me, not because of circumcision or uncircumcision. He says, your performance doesn't matter. Follow God. Follow the Holy Spirit. Do what he's saying to do. Not peer pressure, not cultural whatever. Is this, is this making sense with you guys? How often do we find our cultural identity or personal self-worth in the details of our past. Our education. All of a sudden, we've got our, our diplomas and our awards and our certificates highlighted throughout our house, throughout our offices. And somehow it does something to our personality. It like makes us feel way more valuable. Like before that degree, I had less value. Currently, now I am something better. My personal self-worth is now because of my change of education or you have the opposite where you never were educated you didn't have an education you dropped out of high school and all of a sudden you walk around as if you can't accomplish anything i've seen both of those things happen income levels i grew up poor i grew up rich because i'm rich i have to live this life because i was poor i live this life or because i was poor now i have to do this i have to become rich I have to be frugal and miserly, and I can't give, and I can't do this or that. Like, it changes the way you view life, right? It changes the way you view yourself. Sports. You guys ever see the movie Napoleon Dynamite? It's a ridiculous movie. But like Uncle Rico, back in my day, I could throw pigskin a quarter mile. Like, how many of you guys have met that guy, right? Like, back in my day, I was captain of the football team. I was the best wrestler on the wrestling team. I, I dated the cheerleader, and I was, won this in track and field. We do that often. Like, we live in our accomplishments. I mean, how many times do you hear of a sports athlete who, once they retire at a young age, they're like, who am I? What am I doing? What is my worth? What can I do? I have nothing outside of this arena of life. We take the things that we've done in the past and somehow they 
transform us into what we think our identity is, what our value is. The things that we had as a kid or growing up. Did you have name brand clothes or not? Did you have, I remember, I was talking to my kids the other day, seven and five, and they cannot cognitively understand a world where I did not have a cell phone. I was 18 out of high school when I bought my first cell phone. It was 2002. My parents did not have a cell phone. I was the first one, and I had to buy it myself. Internet. We did not have a computer in our house. All my friends did, but we were a little behind because we were poor. In the year 2000, my parents went out and bought a computer for us, you know, the dial-up internet. It was great. It was finally had the internet. But I remember all my friends talking about AOL, Instant Messenger, right? And talking to each, to each other online and calling each other. And I felt like I was lesser then, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. I remember I was 16 and a friend of mine who had everything. He bought me for my 16th birthday a Nike t-shirt and a Tommy Hilfiger t-shirt. I wore those every day. <laughs> like all of a sudden I was a new man. Like, it's not Walmart, people. Like, that's, that's how, like, all of a sudden, I thought that I was better. Like, my identity literally changed because Tommy Hilfiger on a gray t-shirt, right? A baby blue t-shirt that said Nike. That's it. Why? Why do we let the past, like, change the way we view about ourselves and the things that we're s- striving for now? We do it so often. Family life. Whether you had a good family or a bad family, you had a mom or a dad or, or neither or both. If there was abuse in the house or if there was privilege in the house, we let those sh- things shape how we view what we want for a family, what we're going to be as a family. We let that shape how we are. Do we feel like we were robbed as a kid or do we feel like we were privileged as a kid? What expectations do we put on our future kids and our spouse? We kind of shape this thing based off of our past. And somehow that becomes more significant in our pursuits than pursuing the Spirit of God. Make sense? It becomes more valuable than actually just a life inside of Christ. Being reconciled to the Father because of Christ. So often we let these things determine our worth. It's that, it's that chip on the shoulder. You guys, those sports athletes who have this constant chip, well, I got picked in the seventh round, so I got to fight till I'm 45 years old to be the best. It's this thing that gives people their drive as if there's something to prove to someone. But in Christ, we have to lose those chips on our shoulders because you were chosen You were chosen. I was chosen. That should be the only thing that determines my self-worth, my value, my place on this earth is the fact that I was chosen by a good and merciful God, and so were you, regardless of background. That's your identity. That's it. If you can boil your identity down to any factor, it's the fact that Christ looked at you and said, I want you. I want your heart to become alive, and I want to use you for my kingdom. I want to empower you to be my ambassadors on the earth, to declare my glory to the nations. That's what I've called you to be, regardless of your background. This passage addresses three major types of background here. First is the economical, slave or free. 
or not, not first, but that's actually at the end of that. But I want to talk about it first. Slave or free. Paul in no way here in this passage is endorsing the slavery that we think of in American history where it's the white man beating black men. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's not endorsing that. What the slavery, this word bondservant, looked like is there was a debt that was owed, and so you would be, literally be like a slave to the person that you owed that debt. This is not human trafficking. This is not I own you till death and I can do what I want. Now, did you have abusive owners or, or, or lords over these bondservants? Absolutely. But you also had very kind, loving ones. That would, most, a lot of cases, they would pay these bond servants so that they could earn their, their freedom back. And they would be labeled as a freed man. That's why you see that word, freed, freed man. And so, and a lot of them were educated during their time as a bond servant. A lot of them were given positions of honor and wealth. It wasn't like abuse, but there was abuse. Make sense? He's in no way endorsing that kind of behavior. But what he's saying is, if you were owed somebody money and had to work for them, and then you came to faith in Christ because God called you in the midst of that, all of a sudden you won't be more spiritually elite if you get rid of that debt and become your own freed man. It doesn't change your status in the kingdom. And the same way as the other, if you're a freed man and independent and you don't own anybody anything, it doesn't make you better than the other person who does owe somebody something. Make sense? There's no kind of status here because he says, he's like, whoever the freed man is, is a bondservant to Christ. But whoever the bondservant is, is free in the Lord. Like it's, we live this free life in Christ, but we're also bondservants to Christ. That means I'm free to do what he asked me to do. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm alive in Christ. I'm a slave to righteousness. And that's where I find freedom. Freedom doesn't mean you do whatever you want. Freedom means you have the ability to do what's right. We have to become different when we think of our place in society and our, and our views on freedom, our views of life on Christ. He says, if, if you can be free, if you can become a free man, do it. Pursue it. That's great. But that's not your worth. That's not your, that's not your mission right now. You have a different mission. I feel like we have to look at that today in this room. I don't see anybody in here that I am aware of that is legally bound to somebody from a debt, maybe, maybe the IRS or maybe some credit card company, but they're, you're not, they're not like keeping you in their house to work for them. But maybe some of you guys are financially in bondage. And so all you can think about right now is how can I get financially free? How can I get that house I've dreamed of? How can I get that car that looks good? The one that doesn't die on me every time I turn it on? The one that actually has an air condition? How can I get that house and not that ghetto apartment or whatever? Like all of a sudden your whole focus, your whole life mission is about that thing. And what happens is your spirit man, he's dying on the side. You've not rejoiced in Christ. You've not found your identity of who you are seated in heavenly realms with the Father who owns everything. That's your inheritance. All you can focus on is these green dollar bills that we have in our pocket. Guess what? Go to another country. That green dollar bill looks silly to them. You go to another country, they give you money that looks like monopoly money. It's hilarious. Like I was just in Canada. I'm like, this thing is, this isn't real. This is plastic. Like, you, you bought this at Target the other day. Money means nothing when we look at eternity and who our real father is, 
who our real Lord is. We cannot become slaves to this idea of getting financially free. Some of us work so hard to live the American dream, and you are missing it completely. You look at family, and we've talked about these last few weeks, and we'll talk about it a little bit next week. Whether you're single, married, divorced, you've got an abusive background, you've got a loving background, I, I don't care what your relationship status looks like. It doesn't matter if you're pursuing the heart of the Father. If you're keeping that command of being intimate with Him and loving Him and knowing who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're married or not or if you have divorce in your background. You are on the same playing field as me. You're on the same playing field as the person beside you. You're called by God. That's your identity. And finally, it was the circumcised or uncircumcised. What does that look like today? What does that mean for us? I don't really think that's a big deal. (laughs) Guys, most of you, all of you wear pants. That's good. So it's not like there's any kind of examination on that. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. That's just weird. But what does that mean? Paul is not just saying to that church, Jew or Gentile. Gentile means everybody else. Every other background. He said it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, I don't care if last year, last month, today, this morning, you were an atheist, agnostic, if you grew up Catholic or Protestant, if you were baptized once as an infant or seven times as an adult, God doesn't care. It's not about that doesn't change your identity. You know, I don't care if you grew up Jehovah's Witness, Muslim, Mormon, or a devil worshiper, and you practice witchcraft in your backyard with squirrels. I don't care. God doesn't care either. What matters is that God called you, and you've come out of darkness and into light. That's where you are now. That's all that matters. I, some of you guys look like I'm preaching like death. I'm, give, I'm giving you life this morning. It's all that matters. I don't care what weird things you had happen or what kind of religion you believed in or even what your view of God was this morning. I'm telling you, God's called you and he loves you and that's where your identity and your purpose is. That's who you are now. It's who he is now. Let me say this though because this is the point that Paul gets to. Whatever this background is, stop trying to forsake that background and make it something different or forget it or trying to change it with what you want to do tomorrow. Stop trying to do that because it's not about that. He says that God probably has a purpose for you in that environment. So if you're in Scranton, Pennsylvania, God's got a purpose for you in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you live in one of the nice houses up at Montage Mountain that everybody drives by and like, oh, I shouldn't even be in this driveway. You know? like, I'm just peeking. I do that all the time in Green Ridge. I drive by Green Ridge. Man, that's a nice house. I could never clean that house. <laughs> Whether you live in one of those big houses or if you live in one of the projects in the city, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What does matter is you recognize the place that you are is your mission field, the place that God's called you and put you because he saw purpose and destiny in you. That's your identity. Purpose and destiny. That's your identity. He has put you in that place for his purpose, not for yours. He's put you in that place for his dreams, not for yours. Scripture says, brothers, each man as a responsibility to God should remain in the situation that God has called him to. That does not mean 
that we don't do things to seek to better ourselves, like get an education or get better employment. That's not what he's saying at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take those opportunities and we shouldn't do these things to look for better mission fields, to look for something that's in a, a desire in our heart. But why is that desire there? Is it for your self-worth and your glory or is it for his? That's the question we have to answer. When he says, we saw in earlier in 1 Corinthians that this, this new life has come, the old is dead, the old is gone. That old life is our life of sin. Not where you grew up. Not the things that you've been involved in. That old thing, well, that's, that happened. You don't have to change. You, you ever meet somebody that like all of a sudden they stumble on some money or an inheritance or you heard about this? Or maybe not even that. You ever meet somebody who like gets like saved and they forsake every friend they've ever known because now they're holy? Like that happens too, unfortunately. That person who comes in the money, all their old friends are no longer good, good enough for them. Or they get a nice job, all of a sudden they can't talk to you anymore. You guys know what I'm talking about? Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't be stupid. Whatever place, whatever community, whatever the word metron, which is influence, whatever influence you were put in and God pulled you out of, that's where you need to be his light. That's where you have a purpose. That's your mission field. God wants you to stop using your background for your glory. God, God wants you to use your background for his glory. So don't try to change it for yours, okay? You can't, I, I can't go ever. I was just in ho- my hometown, Hanover, two weeks ago, and I was driving, and I felt the Holy Spirit quicken in me, and I wasn't even thinking about this passage. This is where you come from. Embrace it. This is your hometown. Stop rebuking it. Stop criticizing it. This is where I called you out of. This is the environment that I chose to put you on the earth in. Don't make it about you. That had to become real for me. So often, Ben, myself, Jared, we can joke about our hometown. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I don't feel called to go back there, and I, I, I pray he doesn't call me back there. But I love people there. I love the people there, and I, I value what God put in me there. I can't forsake that place. I'm called to Scranton now. Thank you, Jesus. But guess what? <laughs> I've told this story before, but it's so true. Because wherever you go, somebody's thinking the same thing about that place. I moved from Gettysburg, Hanover, Pennsylvania, to Scranton, Pennsylvania. And my first year, which was a nightmare. It was a family nightmare for us. As a family, financially, health-wise, like everything that could go wrong went wrong that first year. And what happens? We meet our mailman. Our mailman, who's a deaf man, can barely speak, knocks on the door, gives me my mail, sees that it's forwarded from Gettysburg, and he says, you moved from Gettysburg to Scranton? I said, yes. He said, why would anybody move from Gettysburg to Scranton? (laughs) He said that to me three times in the first year that I was there. I'm like, dude, I already answered you this question. Like, you're starting to annoy me now. <laughs> like, he still literally does that. He'll hand me the mail and just shake his head and walk away. Doesn't matter where you're at, where you go. There's somebody who can't view the current situation as a blessing from God, as a place of ministry, as a place that they can bring abundance. Instead, they're wallowing like it's death to them. I've heard that so many times in this city. Locals are like, yeah, one day I'm getting out of here. 
one day I'm going to go to Philly or New York or California, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got these big dreams. Half of them stay, and they're angry about it. Stop being angry about it. Just embrace it. Like, rejoice this city. Make it alive. Let's, let's invest into it. Let's dig deep. Like, stop, stop wallowing. If either God's called you out or he hasn't, oh, well, it's not about you, right? I'm just ranting now, and you guys are mad at me. Make this place your mission field. Make your friendships, your family, make the, the things of your past somewhere that you can reach for God's glory. If you were abused, reach out to those being abused now. Tell them how God redeemed you. If you were a drug addict, tell people how God delivered you. If you were addicted to anything, tell, God, tell people how God is freedom. If you grew up poor, tell them how Christ is wealth. If you grew up wealthy, tell them how Christ is sacrifice. Christ is everything. Use your background, use your situation for his glory, not your own. Let me remind you of what we've already talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I challenge you to remember your calling, the place that you were called from, not try to change that background, not try to pursue these selfish, prideful dreams, but pursue glorifying Christ, boasting in Christ, and declaring him whatever place he's put you in. I encourage you to remember that. Are your dreams, are your pursuits that you're working so hard to achieve are they because you find your personal value there to better yourself? Or is it because God is trying to use you there? And are you trying to be faithful with what he has called you to and what he has given you? He who is faithful with little will be given much. I want to encourage us to be faithful with our backgrounds, faithful with our environments, and watch how God explodes it and gives you more. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? I want to encourage you. Your passions and your endeavors and your pursuits, are they for him? Do they help your soul? Do they benefit your soul? Are they killing your soul? Because if they're killing your soul, then stop. Quit it. Make a sacrifice. Get out. Make that time to pursue God. Pursue his presence. Are you running from your past or are you running toward your calling? Calling is a weird word because a lot of times in Christian circles, we just typically think of it as five-fold ministry, pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, whatever the apostle. We just typically make it about church leadership. But calling has nothing to do with church leadership. I mean, it's part of it, absolutely. Some of us are called to church leadership. Some of us are called to ministry full-time. But everybody is called to full-time ministry, wherever you are. Stop running from that calling. Stop 
running toward your dreams and your goals to run toward his because you'll be much happier, I promise you. Absolutely promise you. You will be satisfied when you're pursuing his desires for you. We're going to sing, we're going to worship, and I want to encourage you. This is a good time for just self-evaluation. What am I pursuing and why? Your degrees, like I've said, are good, but why? I've told you the story before how I was my third year in college doing everything I had dreamed to do in college in ministry school. And the Holy Spirit had to quicken my heart and God said, why are you here? Because you're making it all about you right now, not me. And I had to quit. Hardest thing I ever did. Maybe you're in that space today where you might have to drop something. Pursue the call in you for his glory, not your own, okay? Let's stand, let's worship for a few moments. Thank you.